to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. I know a lot of us, uh, the family here, have gone to visit other family, I suspect, but it's good that some of our family came and visited. Got a big group at SunQuest. Robbie and the teenagers and a lot of uh, parents are there. I think they're coming back this afternoon. I have heard that it's been a great weekend, so thankful for that. You probably don't remember, but last week, if you can remember a week ago, um, I talked about three different conversations that Jesus had with three different groups of religious people. Three groups that came to Jesus and had an agenda with their conversation. The Rhodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all came and asked Jesus a question. And they tried to trick Jesus in his words. This morning, we're going to look at another conversation that Jesus has, but this time, Jesus is the one that's asking the question. And this time, it's Jesus that has the agenda. And I'm going to offer a challenge right off the bat this morning, before we even get started, and the challenge is this. This passage that we're going to look at this morning, it is so familiar. You know it so well. You have listened to different classes. I've preached several sermons on this passage. You've heard it explained over and over again. And I'm afraid there's a, a temptation, once you find out where we're going to be today, that you're going to think to yourself, you know what, I'll check out for the next 25 minutes or so, because I know this story. And I'm afraid if you allow yourselves to do that, you just might miss something that God's Word wants to tell you, tell you this morning, in a, maybe a new and a fresh way. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to walk through a conversation that Jesus has with a woman who for all time is identified simply as the woman at the well. As you're getting there, a little bit of background to this story. Again, it's background that almost all of you know, but it's important context, especially what we're going to talk about this morning. This woman at the well, again, we don't know her name. We do know she's a woman, and we do know that she's a Samaritan. Due to some activities by the Assyrians about 700 years before the story we're looking at today, the Samaritans were considered a very mixed group of people. They had intermarried with many different countries over the years, and they were viewed, rightfully so, as a very mixed race of people. The Jews considered the Samaritans with great contempt. To say that the Jews hated the Samaritans was, was quite an understatement. And this story in John 4, it's about Jesus, who is a Jewish man, having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And this isn't just any woman. This is a woman with a past. This is a woman with a very public past. We're going to find out that she hasn't had just one husband, not just two, not just three, not just four. This woman has had five different husbands. Now that would be unusual even in our culture today. It was incredibly unusual in that culture. Not only that, but she's not even living with her fifth husband. She's living with a man that she's not married to. So this woman has very serious issues, a very public past. She lives in a town, small town, where just like today, everybody knows everybody else's business in a small town. And we're not exactly sure why this woman had five different husbands. Maybe she was a five-time widow. We're not told. It's pretty doubtful. Maybe it was because of the actions of all of her husbands. Maybe all of her husbands cheated on her and left her, which again, kind of doubtful. 
Maybe it was because of her own actions, which at least to me seems a little more probable, especially given the fact that when Jesus confronts her, she's living with someone that she's not married to. But we don't know why she's had five husbands, but we do know this about this woman. She's thirsty. And what we're going to learn about this woman is she's not just physically thirsty. This woman, even though she doesn't realize it yet, has some longing, has some needs that she's been trying to fill on her own. And she hasn't been very successful. And I think if we didn't know this story, if we didn't know exactly how it went and exactly how it ended, I think if we would allow ourselves to put ourselves in her sandals for just a few minutes, I think we could learn some things about ourselves. And I think we'd learn some things about Jesus. And I think we could learn some things about other people who, just like this woman, are thirsty. This woman, again, I wish I knew her name. She left her little town, headed to the well, Jacob's well, carrying a jug for water. She probably passed 12 men on the way, 12 Jewish men, which would have been unusual for her to pass 12 Jewish men. I guarantee when she did, there wasn't any greeting on the road. There wasn't any head nod, a smile. There was no, good morning, ma'am, how are you? None of that. She makes no eye contact. She gets to the well, and, and there sits one lone Jewish man. Again, it would have been a little bit unusual. And she has to be wondering, what are all these Jewish men doing in town? This woman, as she approaches the well that morning, she has no idea that her life is about to be forever changed. She has no idea that people are going to write songs about her. People are going to script plays about her. Preachers like me are going to talk about this woman till the end of time. She is forever going to be known as the woman at the well. She has no idea any of that's about to happen. Because she has no idea she's about to meet the Savior of the world. At that moment, all she knows about herself is, I need water. I'm thirsty. And again, I think she's going to find out that there's more going on in her life than even she might be willing to admit. You know, I've heard this, this encounter with Jesus and this woman described as kind of a chance meeting. I don't think it's a chance meeting at all. I think Jesus was there very much on purpose. I think Jesus had an appointment that day. An appointment with a woman at a well. And we're going to get this fantastic glimpse into how Jesus views thirsty people. And that's important to us today. It's important because... Some of you here might be thirsty. There might be kind of a void in your life. And you've tried different things to fill that void and quench that thirst, but when you put your head on your pillow at night, you think, something's missing. No, I expected something different with my life. I expected something more with my life. You look around and you think, this, this can't be it. If you've ever had those thoughts, this story's for you. This story's for us. We're staying right in John 4 today, so once you get there, you can stay there. John 4, let's pick it up in verse 3. When the Lord learned of this, this being what just previously happened, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Judea is in the south, Galilee is in the north, Samaria sits right in the middle. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. No. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, most Jews wouldn't have gone through Samaria. 
Most Jews would have turned left and gone west and gone all the way around Samaria just so they didn't have to go through that land and, and interact with those people. And it's almost as if John, writing this years later, it's almost as if John, looking back, kind of wants us to know that Jesus felt he needed to be in Samaria that day. It's almost as if John's trying to tell us Jesus felt compelled to be in Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was high noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now again, understand, when this woman approaches the well, I guarantee there's no eye contact with Jesus. She is not looking at Jesus. She sees a Jewish man sitting there, and she doesn't want to interact with Jesus in any way. She's probably wondering, why are all these Jewish men in town? And then Jesus speaks to her. And he doesn't speak in a condescending way. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't condemn her. He just says, would you give me a drink of water? Could I have some of your water from your jug? Because we know Jesus didn't bring any jug with him. Interestingly, this woman never says yes or no. She never really answers Jesus' question. Maybe she's too shocked that a Jewish man would ask her for a drink of water. That he would touch what she's already touched. That he would put his lips where she has put her lips. It's almost unimaginable. But of course, Jesus is doing a lot more than just asking for a drink when he asked this woman for a drink of water. He's making a statement about how he views this woman. Jesus is telling her, I'm not afraid to talk to you. I don't see you as someone who is beneath me. I see you as someone I'm going to respect. I see you as someone who is worthy of my time and my attention. I'm not going to go out of my way to ignore you. In fact, just the opposite. I'm going to go out of my way to have a conversation with you. Notice how she answers Jesus' request for a drink of water. The Samaritan woman said to him, again, you expect her to say, uh, okay, I guess, or no, absolutely not. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John adds parenthetically, in case we didn't realize it, for Jews, do not associate with Samaritans. This woman says to Jesus, I'm not just a Samaritan, I'm a Samaritan woman. I know how you Jews think. I know how you view us. There are sinners, and then below that there are tax collectors, and then below that there are Samaritans, and at the very bottom of the rung is Samaritan women. I know what you people think about me, and you're asking me for a drink? Then in verse 10, Jesus answered her. And this is so powerful. If you knew... And it's powerful because that's where some of you might be today. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. And I think it's right here at this point in the conversation where this woman realizes something else is going on here. I think it's at this point of the conversation that this woman realizes, okay, 
this, comp- this, this conversation is getting complicated. Because I'm not sure we're talking about the same thing. This woman realizes that she might very well be in the presence of greatness. Remember last week we talked about it, when you realize you're in the presence of greatness, your life changes. I think this woman right here starts to realize this man has something that I might want. You know, I've heard this woman described before as just being completely clueless at this point. You know, what? Living water? I, you know, what's that mean? I don't think so. This woman's no fool. She begins to understand he's offering something. Not sure what it is, but he's offering something that I might want. In fact, he's offering something I might need. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herd? She still hasn't answered his question. She still hasn't said, yes, I'll give you a drink. She still hasn't said, no, I don't think I will. But Jesus has her attention. He got, her, he got her attention when he spoke to her, for sure. But now he's reeling her into the conversation. Now there's back and forth. He's talking about living water, and she doesn't understand that, but she wants to know more about this living water. She realizes there's something else going on here. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus tells this woman, if you knew who I was, and granted, I haven't made that very clear just yet, but if you knew who I was, you would ask me for what it is I can give to you, and I'd give it. If you knew who I was and the gift I had to offer, you'd ask, I'd give, and it'd change your life. Jesus, of course, is thinking about a thirst that she's not thinking about just yet. It would, it would quench something that goes way beyond your physical thirst. It would fill a void that you've been trying to fill all your life. And five husbands and one lover later, you still haven't filled that void. But Jesus says, I'm telling you because I came here today to tell you, I can quench the thirst that you have. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't, won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay, I've never met you before. But I think that you've got something that I might want, something that I might need. I want you to give it to me. And then Jesus does the most insensitive thing ever. If a counselor did this to you, you would never go back. If I said this to you, you'd be calling an elder this afternoon. If a friend did this to you, it might cost the friendship. Jesus has this woman leaning her his way. He's got this conversation going. She is intrigued. She is interested. She is uh, opening herself up to Jesus. And then he does this really insensitive thing. He tells her, Go call your husband and come back. Ouch! Yeah, go call your husband and come back. Wow. Wow. It's like he goes straight to the wound and and rips the bandage off. 
It's like he goes straight to the thing that she doesn't want to talk about. Straight to the thing that she very much has been trying to bury, you know, most of her adult life. Brought up the very thing that's going to shut her down. He's brought up the very thing that's going to turn her off. Jesus, why would you tell her to do that? Verse 17, her response, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Again, ouch. Seems cold, doesn't it? Seems a little bit heartless, doesn't it? You know why Jesus did this? I'll ask another question. You know why sometimes you come to church and it's a little bit uncomfortable? You, know, you come to church a couple of times and someone says something, you hear something in a class or, or someone has a conversation or you hear something that I say and it's like, ooh, I don't like that. And you kind of decide, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come back for a couple of weeks. Now, that's kind of uncomfortable. It's because Jesus does with you what I think he's doing with this woman. Jesus very suddenly and very abruptly and a little bit painfully puts her in touch with the thirst that she has, the real thirst that she has. Puts her in touch with what she needs the most. This is Jesus' way of telling this woman, life has left you thirsty, hasn't it? Life has left you empty. You're unfulfilled, aren't you? But I'm offering you something amazing. You need first, though, to own up to the fact that all your efforts to fill this void haven't been successful. What you've been trying to do on your own hasn't worked, has it? It never will. Life has left you thirsty. And Jesus confronts her with her sad efforts to kind of fill that void in her life. Notice her response. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Why? Because I told you you had five husbands and the guy you're living with isn't your husband? That's no secret. Everybody in town knows that. Everybody sees that. Everybody can see your failures. Everybody knows your desperate attempt at trying to fill this void in your life. So she does what most people do when the conversation gets too uncomfortable. She changes the subject. Let's talk about something safe. So she shifts the conversation to, you know, we worship here, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, where do you think is the right place to worship? Let's step back and have a theological conversation. Let's have this cerebral, you know, back and forth because you're getting a little too personal. And you're getting a little too close for my own comfort here. And Jesus allows her to do it. He allows the conversation to sort of shift to uh, worship. And there's some really good information in there for us about worship, you know, when and, and how and why. But for her, she's just glad the conversation has shifted. Because this is a whole lot safer than talking about my husband's. Skip down to verse 25. They've had this nice, safe conversation about worship. And this woman has finally had enough. She's ready to wrap this thing up. Summary statement. In conclusion, the woman said, 
I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Who can say? Someday. Nice talking to you. See ya. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. She's ready to wrap it up, but Jesus is just getting to the good part. I who speak to you am He. Can you imagine how quickly this woman's trying to process what, that, what Jesus just said? I mean, she's ready to leave. It's been a strange day already. When the Messiah comes, the Christ, he'll explain everything. I who speak to you am He. And I think when Jesus made that statement, I think that woman knew. I, mean, I really believe she knew that He was telling the truth. That He really was who He's claiming to be. And he's not talking about a quenching of physical, temporary thirst. He's talking about something much, much deeper than that. And Jesus and this woman seem to kind of be locked, you know, in this moment in time. And she has this aha moment. And right in the middle of that, the disciples show up. Verse 27, just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? We saw last week, those aren't great questions to ask Jesus, right? And then John gives us this great little tidbit of information. Then, leaving her water jar. All at once, the very reason she came didn't matter anymore. The very thing that she'd used over and over and over again to try to satisfy that need, it wasn't relevant. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Question, why would the town listen to her? Why listen to the woman with five husbands and a boyfriend? People were used to talking about her, not listening to her. Why did she get everyone's attention? Maybe it was her passion. Maybe it was her excitement. Maybe it was her intensity. Maybe it was her story. I met someone. I think he's the one. I think he's the Christ. Let me introduce him to you. That's her story, right? I met someone. I think he's the Christ. Let me introduce him to you. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Now here's why this story is still so powerful. Here's why this story is still so well known, why we talk about it so much. Because every single one of us in this room, on some level, can identify with that woman at the well. Every single one of us knows what it's like to feel incomplete. To feel thirsty. To feel like this isn't exactly the life that I thought I would be living. We all know what it is to have a, a longing for something. We're pretty good at trying different things to fill that void. A change of scenery. 
different friends, a new hobby, a new challenge at work, a new relationship to replace the old one that replaced the old one that replaced the old you know, on and on we go. Let me ask you a question this morning. It's going to seem like a strange question, but that's kind of the point. How much sand does it take to quench thirst? How much sand do you have to consume to where you won't feel thirsty anymore? And of course, the answer is you don't drink sand. It wouldn't quench your thirst. It would do just the opposite. Exactly. All the stuff that we try to use to fill the voids in our life, to give our life meaning, to give our life purpose, all the things that we chase after, the next thing that's going to bring us happiness and peace and contentment, the next thing never does. And intellectually we know this, right? I mean, we're smart people. We understand this. And yet we keep kind of chasing that next thing thing that's just going to make me feel like the person I was created to be and like my life really means something and it never works. But we were created to thirst for a relationship with the created, the creator. We, the created, long for that relationship with the creator. And only that really fills the thirst and the longing and the hole in our soul. And the truth is, we're surrounded every day by people who are thirsty. Your friends, your neighbors, your family, co-workers. We're surrounded by thirsty people. Now, they might not admit it. The truth is, they might not even realize it. They couldn't explain it if you asked them to. But we are surrounded by people who will tell you, my life's not really working. You know, there's this pain. Or there's this frustration. Or there are these disappointments. There's just this lack of purpose. I'm hurting on the inside. And I need something to quench that thirst. I need something to fill that void. And just like the woman at the well, what they need is Jesus. They might not know it, but what they need is Jesus. Now, interesting, when the woman at the well left to go tell people in the town about Jesus, the disciples show up and They're still thinking about food, but Jesus is thinking about souls. Jesus says in verse 35, Do you not do not say four more do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. Jesus says, There are a lot of thirsty people out there. We've been sent to tell them our story. We've been sent to tell them what Jesus does, what Jesus is. We've been sent to introduce them to Jesus. Anybody here thirsty? Has life left you thirsty? Maybe you had it all, lost it all, wanted it all, thought about it all. I don't know where you are in that spectrum. Anybody here trying on your own to kind of fill that hole in your heart? You desperately want your life to mean something, but you just don't feel like it does? If you are willing to admit 
that the things that you've chased after to kind of fill that hole haven't worked, if you're willing to admit, you know, it's not working the way I'm trying to make it work, if you're willing to admit that, Jesus would like a few moments of your time. You know, maybe today you're a Christian. You've been a Christian for a long time. But if we're not careful, it's really easy to kind of slip back into that thought process of, I've got to figure this out on my own. I've got to find the things, I've got to chase after the things that I think are going to bring me happiness, that I think are going to kind of fill me with some kind of purpose. And it's really easy to start looking for those things on our own. And we start missing that surrendered life, that passionate life, that, that conviction that we used to have. Or maybe today, that's all brand new. You know, you've never done that. You've never called yourself a Christian. You've never kind of um, committed your life. But maybe today you're thinking, you know, this story, that's kind of my story. That woman at the well, that's me. I don't have five husbands and I'm not living with some guy. Or, but, but yeah, that's my story. I've tried really hard to, to make my life mean something on my own and it, it, none of it's worked. Are you ready to allow Jesus to quench that thirst? Jesus is the answer. Even if you don't realize it, Jesus is the answer. But you've got to realize who He is. You ready to repent of your sins? Confess Jesus is your Lord. Be baptized into Christ. Have your sins forgiven. If you knew the gift that He had to offer, if you knew the one who was offering the gift, you'd ask. He'd give. And it'd change your life. This morning as a church family, if we can help you in any way, There'll be some people at the front of the auditorium. You can meet us there. We'll pray with you. Do anything we can. Let's stand and sing.